Hey, everyone. You're listening to On the House with Spartan, an ad-free podcast brought to you by a full-service turnkey company. I'm your host, Lindsay Davis, CEO and co-founder of Spartan Invest. On this show, we talk about all things real estate, from market patterns, industry insight, construction, property management, and other investment avenues. We hope you'll join as we dive into today's episode of On the House with Spartan. Welcome back to On the House with Spartan Invest. I'm turning it over to Stephanie Devine again today so you can listen to her interview with a very special guest, Gary Pinkerton. Uh, He's a successful real estate investor and financial advisor who's here to introduce us to the powerful concept of infinite banking. And if you've never heard of infinite banking before, then you're in for a real treat. It's a revolutionary approach to personal finance that lets you become your own bank, giving you greater control over your money and the ability to grow and protect your wealth more effectively. All right. So without further ado, here's Stephanie Devine and Gary Pinkerton. I'm here today with our Spartan webinar series. We have Gary Pinkerton with us. Gary, thank you so much for joining us. Super excited to learn more about um, what you do, um, what your expertise is in. So for those of you who don't know, um, don't know you specifically, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and some of your story, how you how you ended up where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, am 54 years old, and I've had a full career in the Navy for almost 30 years. And I grew up, uh, to go a little further back than that, I grew up in Southern Illinois, and I was on a dairy farm in the 70s, early 80s, in a time that rhymes a lot with today. So we had um, we had high gas prices, we had stagflation, where you know costs of everything was going up, but people's incomes weren't, and we had high inflation, and it was you know things, mortgage rates were going up, but everything else was too. And so early in my high school time, uh, Ronald Reagan and Paul Volcker, who was president of the Federal Reserve, got together and said, hey, we got to stop inflation. And so they really had the fortitude to go do what wasn't done under the uh, Carter administration. And they um, slapped like 21% interest rate loans on America. And we had variable interest rate loans on our farm at the time. And we went bankrupt in a very few short months. And so I learned at a young age the value of having long-term fixed rate debt or uh, protection on um, single family homes, on just any real property. And so I've ever since then, I've really sought an opportunity to buy rental properties. And I also had this desire after the 2009 correction, where frankly, a lot of my money was in the markets to um, understand how people grow wealth and sustain wealth for generations across the world, not just in America, but across the globe. And it turns out it's real estate and it's sound money principles, and it's not paying too much in taxes. That's really it. And so now I've devoted myself to helping other people, uh, put in place what I've learned personally and put in place for my family since 2011. That's really, really awesome. I love that. I love that story. I'm from Indiana too. So we're both fellow uh, Midwesterners. Love that. Um, so I know that you are an avid real estate investor, and then you're also really um, familiar with the infinite banking concept. So some of our listeners um, may know about infinite banking a little bit uh, more in depth, but some may not. So can you shed some light on uh, this alternative strategy for us and what makes it so attractive to different different groups of folks with different investment strategies? 
So yeah, so infinite banking, it's a very odd um, concept. Um, the idea of infinite banking is that you can have your money stored in a location and then continue to use it over and over and over again while uh, it's in this safe, secure location growing at a rate without tax impact that's considerably higher than you can store it in, than you can achieve in a, I guess I would say in a, a policy or in a, a banking, a normal traditional checking account or savings account. So this comes from my uh, mentor and really good friend, Patrick Donahoe's book, Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. And um, at the upcoming Spartan Conference, which I'm super excited to present at. And uh, as you know, before that, if anybody would like to have a copy of Patrick's book, you can just reach out to me at the contact information we'll share later, right? Um, but in his book, he talks about this thing called the hierarchy of wealth and it's chapter seven in his book. And it had a massive impact on me and it also really, really helped me understand what I was doing, why I was jumping into real estate, why I disliked um, the kind of more the market, the more typical market investing and my experience and my just kind of really gut reactions that happened after 2008 and nine. And I discuss this with almost every client that I meet with several times a day because it is a really, really good way to understand how much risk you're taking on with your future, with the financial future that you're you're intending for your family. And really, Patrick just adapted Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so Abraham Maslow years ago was trying to help individuals understand how to achieve the emotional um, a level of emotional intelligence that they wanted and to do on this planet what they were meant to, uh, to do. And so he was using an Egyptian pyramid as an example of how you can build things from the bottom, very stable um, foundational layers to get to those more desirable layers at the top, he said. And so he was talking about how you needed to, to um, solve food, shelter, and clothing, those basic needs before you worried about community involvement and self-actualization up at the top. And he said, you know, this structure is a good analogy for this because these pyramids have stood the test of time for thousands of years. And it's not just because it's a stable structure or a stable design, which is helpful, but it's really because they didn't skip any steps. They didn't like just, you know, put a few bricks in the bottom and say, you know what, that's boring. Let's go play up here. Like it would not have stood up. And so he said, you really, really have to solve those lower layers first. And so then I met Patrick Donahoe and he's talking about the same things, but about financial um, success and financial stability only. And so to break it into four very simple tiers and then put some pictures with it to maybe help it kind of stick a little bit better, I talk about the top three layers as investments. And my very simple definition for that is um, is putting my money at risk of loss for the opportunity to grow it faster. Um, and But I do recognize I could lose it. But down at the bottom is a completely separate thing. And so just looking at direct investing, I mean, that's what all of us do every day, hopefully. And this investing in real estate is right here in the direct investing world. It's that safest of all investments. Your risk is really low because the control over what happens is really high. I mean, you have insight and control over whether your asset works well for you or not. The same thing about the investment we put in ourselves and our own businesses. And then when you go up from there, you know, this is kind of the syndication world, the less direct investing. It, you can be successful there. And I play there a lot, but it's not the place to start. And it brings on a more risk because you're, you have other people involved between you and your money and what it's doing. And then, you know, there's the one I love to hate, which is just completely, you're completely removed from your money. There's several dozen people between you and your money. You really don't know what's going on. It's not that much different than pulling the slot machine handle at, you know, Caesar's Palace because you're so far removed from your money. And 
But underneath all of this is a foundational layer, which is about savings and protection for your family and your wealth. And so this is that foundation, that food, shelter, clothing version of you and your money that's necessary to um, to make this thing sustainable for generations and certainly through recessions and all that. So in the end, we call it a wealth maximization account. That's what infinite banking is more commonly or it's more commonly known as infinite banking. And we we call it this to get across the concept that this is, in the end, it's um, whole life insurance. So this is your money being stored at a life insurance company, not at one of the big banks. And I'm sure maybe we'll get into that, but you know there are obviously some big risks there. Uh, but these insurance companies have been around for 200 plus years, and they've gone through the Great Depression and all of these other challenges and have paid profits every one of those years because they do business quite differently than big banks do. In the end, it is you storing your emergency money there, your reserves there, and then opportunity money, right? And that's where it gets the name infinite banking because you can borrow against money that you otherwise would directly put into real estate or other kinds of investments. And then you can get a cash flow return from that, builds a stronger foundation, which enables an even bigger and bigger and bigger performance up here. And there's no reason to ever leave tier two. In fact, I didn't for many years and many of my clients don't. We just build bigger and bigger rental portfolios and it works awesome. So hopefully that kind of gets the, you know, sets the scene that infinite banking is not an investment. It's an it's a, um, enabler for those investments that you send the money into while still growing it safely down there. Does that help? Yes, absolutely. I love seeing that illustration. It really helps bring the concept to life and and how you want to look at it. I've heard a lot of talks on it and I've never heard it um, explained like that. And it really just clarifies the whole concept and the whole picture. That is that is so awesome. I love that. So thank you so much for sharing that. Of course. And you did touch on you know the bank collapse, how this really isn't going to be something that is affected by the bank collapse. So that was going to be the next question is, does this or how does this occurrence, you know, there was another bank last week that collapsed. How does that affect infinite banking? And is that is that something that should be looked at as a risk of that or is it completely unrelated? So their actions are quite different than the actions that large banks take that continue to get them into trouble. So, I mean, in the end, they're all financial instruments. So anything is possible yet insurance companies have this incredible uh, track record of not getting into trouble even for a year, much less um, you know, having, having solvency issues or concerns. And so the, the big thing that got Silicon Valley Bank was not matching what's called assets to liabilities. And that very quickly gets into this technical area that will probably lose most of the listeners. But the big picture is if you imagine like you borrow money from somebody, somebody lends you their money to hold on to, um, and they say, well, I'll be back in the future to get it. And then you're like, well, I'm going to go put it to work. Well, it would be really important to know, can I get my get the money back if they come and ask for it? And that's how that bank got into trouble is that they had the money tied up for 10 years and the individuals could walk in anytime they wanted to get the money and they just didn't have it to give back to them once the confidence in that bank was shaken. Um, and then many other banks have had similar issues, but they really all boil down to um, the ability to lend out more money than they have on reserves. And it sounds odd that they could do that, but every time somebody puts $1,000 on re- on deposit at a bank, then they can go to the Federal Reserve and create nine times that amount of money by borrowing it from them. 
And, and so they're very easily able to way get out over their skis. Insurance companies have never been able to do that. And I personally think that's the primary reason why they've not gotten into trouble. They're lending out money just like big banks are to a completely different kind of customer. They're generally lending out to large blue chip corporations and large real estate developers that have a decades long history of paying them back. And they can't lend out more than they have on reserve to cover it. And so anytime we as policyholders wanted to go get all of our money, they're required to have it sitting on reserve there to be able to pay back. Um, yet they still have money that they can put out to work. And so it's that extra reserve that gives them the ability to grow our money for us. So completely different. Um, in the end, they're both lenders. They are completely different in, in their risk profile. And you know, proof is really in the pudding. They've gone, like I said, 175, 180 years of their existence, like Penn Mutual and Mass Mutual, without ever having a, a year where they were not even profitable. Yeah, that's that's great to hear, especially when you know that's that's top of mind for for most people. Is hey, uh, there is a lot of risk right now. You know, everything is pretty unstable. It can be a little scary. So hearing that that's not necessarily a risk you have to worry about with infinite banking is definitely comforting for sure. So what are some of the risks? You know, nothing is perfect. There are risks with everything. Um, Generally, if yeah. something sounds too good to be true, it is. So what, what are some of the risks or implications to be mindful of when using the infinite banking concept? Yeah, great question. Um, just making sure that I've not lost anybody. You know, it's a cash management system. It's a foundational thing for you and your family. Uh, and it's not an investment. You know, so the returns you should anticipate are like four to five percent um, without the impact of having any tax on it and kind of covering that insurance in the background. So it does have multiple features uh, yet it's not intended to be an investment. It's intended to be a 100% safe, liquid, guaranteed asset. Um, so some of the, I would say, you know, risks, uh, the risks are that you have somebody implement it that doesn't necessarily know what they're doing. Uh, and so you end up with something that's inefficient. It won't be, um, you know, it wouldn't be your money at risk of loss. You could, though, be at risk of not growing it very fast and get frustrated with it and maybe decide to cash it in before it's even kind of broken even. So some of the features that are, I wouldn't call them risks, but I would call them like things you need to you need to understand. Like there is some limitation on access to the capital. Maybe 20% of the money that you contribute on day one is not accessible for a couple of years. And so that's something you should take into account. Um, generally, though, when you put, I don't know, $20,000 into a policy, you'd have access to 16000 of it in the first month. And uh, it would get better and better and closer and closer to 100% of all contributions. Generally, by year five, you've gone from that 80% at the beginning all the way up to more than 100% of access. So and there is some limitation. It's not exactly like a savings account. Another feature that would be important to understand or a restriction is that for it to operate within the tax boundaries, you should think about uh, multi-year contributions. Like you, you should plan to contribute for seven years minimum. Um, if you don't contribute that way, I mean, maybe I can help kind of uh, in the background get it funded to meet that criteria. But there's an IRS regulation that says that if money doesn't go into a, one of these policies for at least seven years, at least the minimum part, then you will lose the tax benefits that we're all trying to hold on to with this kind of a system. And so it's designed with like a minimum and a maximum annual contribution. It's similar to a savings account in that it's very flexible on, on what you put in and when you put it in, yet it's not just anything you want. There is a minimum and then there's a max cap that if you go over that, you also break the IRS rule. So a few things there are like number of years necessary to contribute, minimums and maximums. There are some 
guardrails, if you will, that you need to operate within. Um, but it's really quite flexible when you design it, when you're working with somebody who knows how to design it well. Love that. Yeah. So uh, main takeaway for me there is just make sure that if you are considering this, that you're speaking with somebody and working with somebody who has the knowledge and expertise in this that can give you all the ins and outs and make sure that it's a good fit for you and your family, your portfolio, and just make sure it's the right decision for everybody. But it sounds like a, it could be an incredible vehicle for a lot of people if it, if it matches those criteria. So um, yeah. that's, that's great. So how can, um, and I may be jumping ahead. I know you've got a little bit of a presentation there, but, um, obviously, you know, smart and invest, we need to tie this into real estate, of course. So, um, and you're a real estate investor as well. So how do you tie those two together? How can somebody use this concept for purchasing, uh, rental properties for their investment yeah, portfolio? That's a great question. So you hear some people refer to it as an, and asset, and essentially you, you build up capital inside it. And then you access the capital from time to time. And, and you can physically withdraw it like you would out of a bank. Um, when you do that, though, you pay that opportunity cost of the money not being there and growing anymore. And so generally, when you hear somebody um, op operating an infinite banking type structure, what they're really doing is they are borrowing against it. So they're letting the money sit in here and continue to compound even when you can use it for something else. So you can you can have it grow in the background and provide the death benefit uh, and the tax-free, strong growth, and it can go out and do some other job. And so the pictures on the left-hand side are what Robert Kiyosaki would call doodads. They're not cash-flowing things. And some people use it for this. Uh, and when you borrow against it, just like you know, when you've paid, when you've saved up money for a car and then you buy that car, well, now you're going to start saving for the next one, right? And so saving for the next one in this case would be paying back the policy loan instead of filling your checking account back up. Uh, and so you're kind of coming out of pocket or out of your earned income to to refill after buying a doodad, which is why it's not really my favorite. But we took the value from like right here or the net available amount down to here because we borrowed against some of it. And what you find when you pay it back is that it's actually grown from here up to here. And that's because in the background, it was still there, still growing. You just borrowed against it like, you know, collateral, like you would borrow against a property for a, a HELOC. Uh, and your property is still growing in the background, right? Even though you've accessed the value of it. So this is really very similar to real estate. What I really like for people to do though, is to borrow against it, at least early on for cash flowing assets like a property. And so when you borrow against it, um, what I teach my clients to do, and it's not a requirement, but I teach them to just use the cash flow to replenish the loan. And then it's just this big cycle where you replenish and then you start over and you do the next one. And just like the last time, after we've borrowed against and repaid, we see that there's a whole lot more in there. And so I'm going to quickly scroll through things to get to an example of how I do it with rental properties. Um, and well, maybe let me go back here real quick. So this is a picture of my first rental property. So I bought it 2011 in San Antonio, Texas. It was a fourplex. And this wasn't the entire down payment because it was new construction, but a part of the down payment was $50,000 that I needed to borrow. And I didn't know if I should just use my own cash that I had in a checking account or should I move it to the policy and then borrow against the policy to, to use it. And so when I asked one of my friends, hey, what do you think about me borrowing money at, at the time? It was like 6% and paying it back over like 25 years for the down payment. And he went and did the, you know, the uh, amortization calculator and he said, my gosh, you're going to pay $47,000 in interest. And your original investment is only, your loan is only 50. My gosh, that's as much interest as principal, which is true. That's true for your primary residence on a 30-year mortgage too, right? Yep. And that's half of the story. And it's an interesting point. 
Um, the other half of the story that we never talk about nowadays is what could I do with my money if it wasn't sitting uh, in the property, right? So if I don't use my own money, I I end up having to pay this 47, but what else happens? And so if I have 50,000 sitting in a policy earning that same 6% um, over that 25 years and I don't pay any um, taxes, meaning that the interest that I earned kind of small in the first year, but that interest I earned also the next year compounds and earns interest without being taxed, then if you do a savings account calculator and you say, what does 50 turn into after 25 years and 6% with no taxes? It's a crazy number. It turns into 215,000 or to kind of summarize things, you could make 165, but you had to pay 47 to do it. Why is that happening? Well, it's because you're paying principal and interest back here and this 50,000 goes down every month and it's pretty small over, over time. Where here, it starts at 50 and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so in the 24th year, the amount of interest that's earned is massive. And that doesn't happen if you instead take all of the money and put it into a property, right? You've paid a massive opportunity cost of taking your money and locking it up inside the property. And in this case, that opportunity cost is $120,000 roughly. Yes, I'm definitely choosing the second option. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to... so. This is just a quick example of, you know, you need to work with, like we talked about before, you need to work with somebody who knows how to put together three important features. I'm just talking about two of them here, but you take what is an old school whole life insurance policy that you'll hear a lot of people bash. They'll say, gosh, you don't have any access to the money. It's not liquid for many, many years. Um, and, and you have to put the same amount in every year and that kind of thing. And that's because they're talking about the 200 year old product called ordinary whole life insurance, which is a part of what we create, it's necessary because this is what gives you all the guarantees and it and it gives you the tax benefits that you want to lock in. But it doesn't have to be a large component. And so we add a lot of flexibility and liquidity. Here I'm showing like very conservative, like two thirds of the money going there. I, pro- I typically put 85% of it into this overfunded uh, portion called paid up additions. And this is really the liquid portion on day one. All of the contributions, years three, four, five and beyond, act very similar, the blue and the green, but it's those first couple of years where adding the money up here in the green really, really helps on liquidity. And it also gives you this, you know, guardrails that I mentioned, instead of having to do the same amount every year, you can do kind of anywhere between a minimum and a maximum. And so the minimum is typically like 15 or 20% of the maximum. So here's how I use it for real estate. So I go to my awesome friend, Aaron Chapman. And if you have a cool person that you use for 30 year mortgages, go for it. Uh, but I believe this is one of the primary, I mean, this is for sure the primary reason that I buy rental properties. And I still, I'm building six of them right now that Aaron's going to help me put land or put loans on. I love Fannie Mae loans because it protects my family from inflation and it allows us to actually leverage and grow our wealth faster. Love these loans. And I mean, the cash flow is nice, but for me, this is the thing. Uh, and I didn't want to put my own money in as a down payment. And so I met Patrick Donahoe for my very first property we just talked about. And since then, I've done it dozens of times where I will borrow against my policy, have my money sit here and grow in this tax-free environment. And then I borrow against it and I put the insurance company's money in as a down payment. And then I have the renter pay back both these loans for me. And so simply put, there, you know, when you're going to go buy a property, you can put cash down or you can uh, put your money in a place where it's going to grow uninterrupted. Don't pay that penalty, that uh, opportunity cost penalty, and allow your money to continue to grow while you put the insurance company's money in like we just showed in that other picture. And I go through the math, and I don't want to go too much into this, but my primary thing, um, Stephanie, was that I wanted to show everyone 
side by side, the exact same money. And it really just kind of plays out on a month by month basis or picture wise, what I showed with those two graphs a moment ago. You know, you have the opportunity to put your own money in. Um, in the last example, it was 50,000, but this is 20. And so you have the opportunity to put your own money in here and lock it up at 0% return or sit up in the checking account at a very low return. Or you can sit it over here in this amazing environment and just let it grow in the background and borrow somebody else's money and put theirs back. And to emphasize, some people have a concern about, um, hey, I, you know, what if I have to pay a higher rate than I'm earning? It seems like that would be a really bad idea. And we get really caught up on comparing these two that are very close together and not comparing 5% versus the 0% that's sitting over mm -hmm. here, you know, the other alternative. And so I just go through this little scenario where there's $100 of, of cash flow, not a great property, but $100 of cash flow. And, you know, he uses it to pay back the loan and the guy over here uses it to pay back his checking account to fill it back up. You know, the exact same money on both sides. And then 30 years later with, you know, this is very simplified, right? There's no tax benefits. There's no rent increases. Um, but in the end, the person on the left has a paid off house and they have 43,000 that they've been able to collect and grow in this fairly poor uh, environment. And then the guy on the right-hand side didn't put anything in his policy. He just paid off the loan the whole time. But he grew $20,000 in a much better environment and ended up with a lot more money. So this is very similar to what I just showed on those curves. It just kind of shows it more in a picture form that I think resonates with many people. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And it's so it's so easy to understand. I know there's so many complexities behind infinite banking. And I'm, you know, very much scraping the surface and I'm not an expert in it, but this is this is awesome because it really does give you a clear picture of how it works and how it can benefit you, your family, your portfolio, the whole nine yards. So anybody who is intrigued and interested, maybe on the fence or doesn't know what actions to take, like what would you, what advice would you give or call to action would you give to a beginner who said who sees this webinar and says, oh my gosh, I want to do that. I don't want to miss out and pay back my checking account, not earn that extra interest. How do you, how do you get started? Yeah. So just reaching out to us, um, if you go to my website, which is garypinkerton.com, uh, they can get a copy of Patrick's book, Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. And they'll also can fill out information and my assistant will reach out. I'm not a very pushy guy when it comes to meeting. I mean, if it's a good fit for you, like I'm in a relationship yeah. with Spartan, I'm in it for a relationship with Aaron Chapman and clients who feel this is a good fit. So I'm not going to be the guy who uh, badgers you. Um, but I think that you would really um, value or you would get great, great value out of just maybe reading Patrick's book, going on to our website at, at Paradigm Life. We have a ton of videos there. Uh, and then I would also invite you, if you're so bold, to uh, I'm, I'm going through. There we go. So if you'd like, you can also subscribe to my podcast. My podcast is called Gary's Gulch. It's a throwback to Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand. I'm trying uh, my mission in life now is to help others gain agency, which is not a word that we use very often anymore, but the ability for them to make their own financial decisions and control their own future because they have the resources to do so, which is cash flow from properties. It's also just having liquidity and um, and financial intelligence, you know, an ability to understand how to um, grow and use what they have safely. So those would be my recommendations. Love that. Love your mission. I think that's amazing. I think it's so important. Um, definitely, like you said, just to continue passing on that knowledge because it is, you're right. It's so, um, it's a different concept now and being able to give that information to future generations is so, super important. So 
Absolutely agree. Well, um, like you said earlier, you are speaking at our summit and we are so excited to have you. Um, very, so much great information. I know that was a very quick rundown um, and I'm guessing that you're going to deep dive a lot deeper into it when we're at the summit together. Um, but for anybody who is tuning in today or who has checked out this webinar, we are doing a um, discount code. It's going to be Gary23 for 20% off of our summit. Come Meet nice. Gary, meet the team, and come check it, check us out and um, learn, invest in yourself. Um, but at the summit in Huntsville, we're super excited, October 4th through 6th this year. Um, Gary, any final thoughts you want to leave us with? Uh, that, was, that was super awesome. We really, really appreciate you doing that for us today. Uh, well, I'm excited to meet everyone too. And I appreciate you saying all of that. And, uh, I love the opportunity in, in Huntsville. I think new construction or fairly new, uh, properties is really the way to go. And I would love to have a conversation with anyone who's interested or just wondering what, um, what I'm talking about when I say, uh, that the loan, the primary mortgage is, is to me the most powerful aspect of it. This is a close second, but it's just not as big. Uh, and won't do as much magic as that primary mortgage loan will. So I'm also uh, doing a, a, um, a conversation and a podcast here this week with our mutual awesome friend, Aaron Chapman. And uh, everyone should go check that out too. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Aaron has got such great insight um, into all of that as well, the rates and the mortgage and how to make it all work for you. Uh, yeah, we're super excited about all of that. And again, we really, really um, appreciate your time. I know you're busy and um, you've got, got a lot going on. So thank you so much. And we will definitely chat soon and hope that um, everybody watching, listening today has been able to take something from the session and come see Gary, come meet Gary at our summit. We're super excited. I look forward to it. Thanks so much.